Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. I played it last week and aged some of us. There were actually, Jessie Burpo did not know who this was. That's how young she is. And so there's some young folks in the, in the room. You need to explain to them. If you're sitting next to a young person, just put your arm around them and tell me it's going to be okay. I'll explain who this is in just a moment. Danny, would you play that video? Lucky lady tonight. Lucky lady tonight. But if you've ever been a lady to begin with, but be a lady tonight. That's when music was music. How many under, do I have any witnesses in the house? Big band, little bit. I even like big band. Even as much as I liked rock and roll growing up, I even like a little big band. We could get some more horns in here to help fill out on the clarinet. Man, we need a trumpet and a sax and some earplugs because it'll be loud in this little room. But we'll take it, right, Phil? I would take it. So anyway, we've been talking about the blessed life. The, the reality is, is that you can try to live your life based on luck. You can try to do that. But if you're going to live your life based on luck, then you need to just understand at the beginning that you are going to have to live a hit or miss lifestyle. Because luck, if there is such a thing, is fleeting. It comes and it goes. It, it invades our life for a few moments, it seems like. And then if you get up on the wrong side of the bed, you can lose all the luck and, and have a bad day, right? But how many of you know there's a better way to live? There is a way to live called the blessed life. And the great thing about the blessed life is that it does not involve luck at all. In fact, a blessed life comes with guarantees. In fact, let me say it like this to you so that it will just help you get on the right path. You can live a blessed life even on a bad day. Even when everything is going wrong, even when everything you touch seems to fall apart, even when life is not exactly like you would want it to be or scripted it out to be, the reality is, is that if we place our life in the right path and we live the right way, even at that moment we can still count ourselves blessed and have a great life. I didn't get any witnesses on that. But how many of you know we all have bad days? But what separates us as believers from everybody else is even on our worst day, if we are living a blessed life, our worst day is better than somebody else's life trying to live their life based on luck. And so we started last week, and, we, and I basically said to you and submitted to you that there are four ways to live our life that propel us into this blessed life. You've got to live in these four ways to be blessed. And you will remember last week that I challenged you that the first way that we have to live or kind of life that we have to live is the generous life. You will remember that I told you and challenged you that we seldom, most of us seldom do, 
uh, even do what's required, much less move over into the generous realm. But I also challenge you that you've got to understand that you cannot become spiritually mature without also being a person who lives a generous life. Generosity is one of the hallmarks. It's one of the character traits of Jesus and of God. And if we are going to be true disciples and mature in our relationship with Christ, then we too must become generous people. And so I challenged you to do that. I also uh, challenged you and reminded you that generosity goes against our nature. But it is as we discipline ourselves and we become generous, even when we don't want to be, at that moment as we exhibit and demonstrate generosity, even when it costs us, then what happens is we participate and are active in killing our old man. And so today what I want us to do is we talked about the generous life, and so what I want to do is I want to show you the second kind of life that we have to live in order to be blessed because not only do you need to live a generous life to to be blessed you must also live a shared life to be blessed let's do this just as a quick refresher uh, let me just remind you that from the beginning in Genesis chapter 5 I read it to you last week I'm not going to read it to you this week but in Genesis chapter 5 Verses 1 and 2, we discover that from the very first first moment when God created man and woman, the Bible says that he looks over them and he says to them, be blessed. And so we can take from that that God desires and intended for us to be people that are blessed. You will also remember that I pointed you to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and gave you homework. That through the course of the week, you were supposed to go read Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14. You will remember that it shows time and time again all of the manners in which God wants to bless us. And I read to you the summary verse, which I will read to you again now. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 6. You will be. Everybody say, will be. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. I love that passage of Scripture because that means that God is, is, intends for me to be blessed when I'm coming and I'm going, when I'm awake and when I'm asleep, when I'm in and when I'm out, when I have a good day, when I have a bad day, when I have a mediocre day. It is speaking to me and saying that God still desires for us to be so blessed that you can't see the beginning or the end of your blessing. It just envelops your entire life. Anybody want to live that way? I do. So as we did last week, I want to make sure that we're all in harmony and we're all in agreement. And the only way I know to do that is get you to say this whether you mean it or not because if you say it, ultimately it will get down into your spirit, I believe, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so as you say it, it will penetrate your heart and you'll begin to believe this. So would you say this with me? The generous life is a blessed life. The shared life is a blessed life. See, that's where we got to live. So how does living a shared life factor into us being blessed? Let me show you in the New Testament. We always talk about the New Testament church, and when we do, we have to go back to where the New Testament church launched. It was in Acts chapter 2. That is when we recognize that or pinpoint that the New, the New Testament church was established. So I want to go back to you. with you into that passage of scripture and show you how they lived a shared life and how blessed they were. Turn to Acts chapter 2 if you have your Bibles. If not, it'll be on the screen. We're going to read verses 38 through 47 and it's going to show us, it's going to give us a glimpse into this life that we must live. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 47. Peter replied, this is after the day of Pentecost has, has come. The baptism of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the disciples. He's be, the, people are beginning to wonder what's going on. And Peter, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, stands up and preaches. And this is what he says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now listen, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, doctrine and dinner. Everyone who was filled with awe, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor. That's a different way to spell blessing. How do you spell blessing? F-A-V-O-R. Favor. They enjoyed the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Just a few things I want to say to you this morning about living a shared life. Number one, I want to say to you that a shared life cannot be uncommon. Let me explain because the reality for us today in our day and age is that we recognize and realize, I hope you do, that the shared life is uncommon. But I am saying to you that if we are going to live a blessed life, that we cannot allow the shared life to be uncommon for us. We, we can go back, I can't get away from Genesis this year for some reason, but you can go back into the Genesis account. And when you read the creation story and see God create man, it is not long after God has created man, male, that he steps onto that scene and he makes a statement about, about this male. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, we've taken that, preachers have taken that for the last few centuries, and we've preached about marriage out of that. And yes, it does indicate that God has designed a spouse for you and all of that. It does imply that, and we understand that that is a truth that we need to understand. But what we forget to realize is that that also speaks very clearly to the deep need deposited in each of us for relationship. What we catch at that moment, if you look carefully, is you see a glimpse into a divine insight into us as people that we are designed for a connected, shared life. It's not good for us to be alone. Well, Jesus understood and op operated under that principle as well. He modeled that for us. There is a powerful portion of Scripture found in the, the Gospel of Mark Chapter 3, verse 14. We're not going to put it on the screen. I want you to go home and read it. But I want you to catch what happens. The Bible says, this is a quote, He appointed 12. This is the day He calls the 12 disciples. He appointed 12, catch this phrase, that they might be with Him. 
That is a profound statement. Because it could have said Jesus called the 12 disciples and appointed them so that they could take care of him, so that they could wait on him hand and foot, so that they could deal with his travel arrangements, so that they could go get his food ready, so that they could, that they could uh, arrange all of his meetings and make sure that the crowd was held back at, at stay. They could have, he could have said, we want, I want to appoint 12 disciples so that they can deal with the budget issues and make sure the utilities are okay and that the chairs are straight and that the PowerPoint is working correctly and that the run. No, he says, I am appointing 12 so that they can be with me. I would say it like this. Jesus appointed 12 to share his life. He wanted to have a connection with them. See, the truth is this morning is that we begin to share our life when we find common ground. I read to you out of Acts, it says they were all together and had everything in common. And a lot of times we relegate that to, well, we're, they were talking about their, their possessions. But the truth is, is that they had everything in common. There was common ground. We live a shared life when we can relate to one another from a place of common victory, a place of common struggle, a place of common pain. If we are going to share our lives, we must also learn to share our souls. So I have some questions for you this morning that I hope will challenge you. When was the last time you shared a defeat with somebody in this room? When is the last time that you celebrated a victory with someone in this room? When is the last time that you shared your pain, your deepest, darkest need, the most devastated place of your brokenness, when is the last time that you were willing to allow somebody in this room to share that with you or that you were positioned to share their deepest moment of pain? Have you shared tears with anybody in here? Have you shared celebration with anyone in here? Let me bring it really down to our level when's the last time anybody on your row could see your pain or you saw their pain or they saw that you had a great week and you were celebrating victory or you saw that they had a great week and you celebrate when is the last time that we shared like that that is where we find our lives shared, is when we find ourselves dealing with one another in the place of commonness. My fear is that the shared life has been become uncommon, and therefore a blessed life has also become uncommon. Please don't misunderstand me. We all share our lives. There was a teaching that used to be real prominent. I guess in some circles it probably still is. It usually is in uh, ministries that deal a lot in deliverance. But there was this teaching about soul ties. Anybody ever heard anything about soul ties? Okay, soul ties is 
this level of connection that you get with someone at a soulish level. And a lot of times those are the hardest relationships to break. Normally when you hear somebody teach about soul ties, it's in a negative connotation. You are soul tied to somebody and you can't seem to break that relationship off and it keeps pulling you down into defeat. But the truth is, I want to help you this morning, is that we're all soul tied to somebody. Our issue is that typically what happens is we allow our, because we share our life on the basis of our commonness, what we find in common. Most of us, if we are not careful, develop soul ties with the wrong people. So you are already tied at the soul to somebody. What I am challenging you to do is, is understand in your own spiritual journey that if you are going to live a blessed life, you must have soul ties, but they must be soul ties to the right people. And the right people established in your life are the people in God's kingdom that he's placed in your life. You should be tied not just at the hip but at the soul level so that when you hurt, I hurt. And when you celebrate, I celebrate. And we find ourselves at a common place and we are tied together on the soul level. That is a, a bond that cannot be broken in a lot of cases. In fact, you'll find people that get saved and keep going back to sin and keep going back to devastation because of the soul tie in their life to somebody that pulls them down. I am saying to you that if we would get connected at the soul level, we would pull one another up and we wouldn't fall because we would be connected to one another. A shared life cannot become uncommon. Who are you tied to. It is at the moment that we share our victories. It is the moment that we share our pains. It is the moment that we share our deepest emotions that at that moment we become tied to them on the soulish level. And I am encouraging you that what we must do is we must come to the place in this body where we allow one another to do that. Most of us, and I'm going to be real this is going to sound like a harsh statement, but I think I have a pretty good finger on the pulse of Christendom in Oklahoma City and surrounding areas. And, and, I, and I would be remiss if I made it just like it's just about Oklahoma City because it's not. The truth is, is this is about pretty much all of Christianity in America. So I, this sounds like a harsh statement, but I think I can validate it. Most of American Christians never walk into a shared life because of what I want to say second about the shared life. Are you ready? Here it is. They fail to walk into a shared life because a shared life will cost you. See, I couldn't get any amens. But it's true. In fact, in order to live a shared life, it will cost you your most valuable commodity. Time. That's what it will cost you to move into a shared life is it will cost you something that is more precious than all the money you have in the bank. It's more precious than your cars. It's more precious than your house. It's more precious than your job. It will cost you your time. Let me say some things about why I think that's true. See, I think what we've done is we've relegated together to Sunday morning. I ain't going to get no help this morning. I don't know if y'all so quiet because it's so rainy outside or, or if, if you just 
can't believe I'm saying some of this stuff. I don't know. Let me say it like this. This is a truth that I believe with all my heart. I've never heard this said from the pulpit, but I'm going to say it right now. Not because it's controversial. I just don't think we like to admit this. Here it is. Sunday morning's effectiveness is really determined by how together we are the rest of the week. Let that sink in. That means we can get the best worship team in town. That means we can get the best light system in town. That means I can get six smoke machines and run you out of here. That means I can get the greatest illustrations and probably get the greatest speaker in Oklahoma City. And the reality for us, and I believe this is true, is that we will never be more effective than at the moment that you become connected away from Sunday. don't hear this said much either, but I'm going to say it. And I hate to admit this about our own services, but I think they're true about our own services and probably true for the majority, if not all, the churches in Oklahoma City this morning. That's a bold statement I just said. Listen. Most churches and the Sunday morning experience remains very shallow and surface oriented. You know why? Because we're not willing to pay the price to live a shared life. That's why. See, without having a week's together, listen to this statement, we have nothing to build on. Let me say it like this, and, and I believe this is true too. You don't build on foundations. Let me say that again. You do not build foundations on Sunday. I'm messing with some of you right now. This is a different way of thinking. You do not build foundations on Sundays. You know what you do on Sundays? You build on foundations that were established all week long in your life. We are only on Sunday morning constructing and building on what you've already encountered together all week long. Therefore, if you haven't built anything together throughout the course of the week, we have absolutely nothing to build on on Sunday morning. And so we come in and we remain shallow and surface level because there's no foundation established and we don't have time in one hour to establish a foundation. Some of us are more together with our co-workers and our neighbors than we are with the people we worship with. I got a question for you, though, because that scares me. Some of you are more together with the people that you work with than you are with the people sitting next to you right now. That bothers me because I want to ask you a question. What in the world are you going to do when everything in your life goes wrong and you have a hard, difficult season of your life? What are you going to do? Because if your co-workers and if your neighbors and if your classmates are not Christians, then they are not equipped. Because I want to say to you that the Bible clearly states that we are supposed to bear one another's burdens. The people in the body are supposed to bear one another's burdens. And if you are closer to the people that you work with and they don't know Christ as their personal Savior, they are not equipped to help you carry the burden of your life. And you will try to pull something out 
part of them that they don't have. So if you're going to have somebody to lean on, then you got to get together. And I just got news for you. Most of the victories we win as Christians, people that aren't saved are not going to celebrate those victories with you. Like if you are a, a, a drug addict and that addiction has been broken off your life, your drug friends are not going to celebrate the fact that you are clean. If, if you are a shopping addict, you see, we, that's a whole other message, but we, we separate and things one's worse than the other, but the re, one can be just as binding as the other. If you are, your spending habits are out of control and you come together and you, you go to Financial Peace University and you honor God and begin to di- discipline your, your checkbook, if, if your shopping partner was not a, is not a Christian, most likely they're not going to celebrate the fact that you don't want to go to the mall anymore. In fact, they're going to start sending you sale bills in the mail to try to... Sp- are you all hearing me? We are so connected with people that cannot help us because we don't want to pay the price. I'm concerned that some of us get ungodly, unhealthy advice and suggestions because we are so connected to the people that we work with that we don't ask the people that we should be tied with. Listen to what it says about the New Testament church. They were together every day. They weren't living a shared life because they went to church together one time a week, although they did. And although the Bible strongly states to us in Hebrews that we should not forsake the gathering together of ourselves. There's something incredible that happens when we come, come together like this. There's this infusion together of power. There's this give and take. We pull off of one another. But the truth about the New Testament was, the New Testament church was, they didn't just go to church together. They were together every day some of you go all week long and never see or talk to anybody that you're in church with this morning in fact you won't see them or talk to them again until next Sunday and then we wonder why we operate on this level how's the weather who cares that's all we know to talk about because we're not invested in one another's life We have fooled ourselves into thinking that we are more connected than we really are. There is a truth that we have been preaching to you from day one. I'm going to preach it to you again in three words. Life together better. Three-word sermon. Y'all wish this was a three-word sermon, don't you? Life together better. That is a truth that if we would ever grasp, We could make it through the darkest moments of life and we would have people to share the highest moments of life. But you cannot do that staring at the back of one another's head one hour on each Sunday. Let me give you a litmus test to determine if you are sharing your life with anybody. Are you ready? I'm going to give you a glimpse how you can see whether you pass the test with anybody in the room. All right, here we go. In the New Testament church, This is how they knew they were sharing life. Number one, they fellowshiped together. 
they ate together. Now, we like that one. We passed that one with flying colors. Here's where it starts breaking down. They prayed together. Well, we do that at church, Steve. No, that's not what that says. They prayed together every day. Got any prayer partners in the room? Got somebody in the room that's calling you on Monday morning saying, I'm praying for you today? Got somebody you can call at 3 a.m. on Friday night or Friday morning and say, look, I've had a terrible night and I need you to pray for me. Anybody like that in the room for you? That's the litmus test. It says they worshiped together. We do that pretty well. And here's the deal breaker. Here we go. And they went into each other's homes. In other words, what God is trying to teach us, I think, is that hanging out in his house isn't enough. You've got to hang out and open your house to each other. So my question to you this morning is simply this. Who passes that test? Who have you fellowshiped with? Who have you eaten with? Who have you prayed with? Who have you worshipped with? How many of you have actually been in each other's homes? Those are the folks. If you can say that you've done those things, those are the folks that you're sharing your life with. See, I, I understand that what we've got to do is We've got to fight against what our society has taught us. Our society teaches us this. Keep everybody at arm's length. There used to be an old commercial, never let them see you sweat. Remember that one? We thought it was just a cute jingle or slogan, but the truth is, is that we bought that into our souls, and now we keep everybody at arm's distance, and we don't want anybody to know what our life is really like. Because it costs us. Let me put it to you like this. If we are going to live a shared life, we must move past our comfort zones. Look around you for a moment. It's interesting. Look at all the space. Some of you chose rows all by your lonesome. I'm in my comfort zone. Some of you are sitting on the same row like four places apart because I want my comfort zone. In order for us to get to the place that we are going to live shared, we've got to move beyond our comfort zone and allow people to penetrate the walls that we've built up and get to know one another. It's got to happen. See, the reason I bring this to your attention is this. I'm concerned for some of you because some of you have been attending our church for months and some of you have been attending church for years and I can't get you to hang out two minutes after service. In fact, you'll leave early just to keep from having to talk to anybody. Well, I'm a private person. Well, this is not about your personal preference. This is about whether or not you want to be blessed. Oh, yeah, I didn't like that. This is not about whether i got to have six spaces in between me so I feel comfortable and I don't want anybody close to me. Don't get up in my personal space. When you walk up on me, I'm going to back up. In fact, if I see you coming, I'm going to duck and get out. Some of you don't even know each other's names and you've been sitting on the same row for six months. You know how I know? Because I don't know some of your names. But this is what I know. 
if we don't get to a common place and, and pay the price of spending enough time outside of where you're sitting right now because you can't really communicate right now because the preacher would get on to you if you started talking to your neighbor right now, right? So what I am releasing you to do is to go out in that lobby and actually spend four or five minutes and get to know one another and, and actually look at one another and say, hey, you got any lunch plans? Let's go get something to eat. I know we don't know one another, but it'll give us a great opportunity. Hey, why don't you come to my house on Friday night and we'll hang out and watch the dunk contest? sure I like that. Okay, don't live blessed. Because that is the alternative. And then last, I would say to you that we don't like to live a shared life because a shared life will uncover you. That's the crux of the matter right there. Notice what Acts says. It says, they sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Okay, here's the million dollar question. How did they know there was a need unless they were involved enough in their lives to actually see the need? Okay, so that is the truth. So surely you aren't naive enough to believe that we're the first generation of people that know how to fake it. Surely you aren't naive enough to think that we just perfected this in, the, in our century, our 21st century, and, and we're the only generation of people that have learned to put on a facade and to put on a mask and walk in and say, I'm too blessed to be stressed, and I'm and I'm, I'm an overcomer, and I'm more than a conqueror, and go out and, 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 and hell has broken into your life, and you can fake it on Sunday. Surely you're not the first, we're not, you don't, you're not that naive to think that we're the only ones that knew how to do that. They knew how to do that too. But they were able to minister to one another's needs because it uncovered. They were so connected that their need was uncovered. Most people resist a shared life because it means that our masks have to be ripped off and that we are exposed for the weak, needy, and vulnerable people that we really are. And we don't want anybody to get that close. And so what I think is happening is that we are terrified of being real. We don't want to be real. We want to act like the, the put-together, sold-out, blood-bought, devil-stomping, Bible-thumping, pew-running Christian and make everything, everybody around us think that's who we really are. But we know, we know that, that that's not who we really are. What we really are is people that go home and hang our head and go, man, if I just had somebody that cared about me and somebody that would love me. Why do, We ask this all the time. Why doesn't anybody care about me? They don't. It's not that they don't care. It's that they don't know. See, many of you are in need right now. You're in need of somebody to love you. You're in need of somebody to, to, to walk through you for, through the painful moments of your life. You're in need of encouragement. You're in need of fellowship. You're in need of a friend, and here's the, here it is, here it is. You're not going to like this, but here it is. Here's the truth I know. Many of you sitting under the sound of my voice actually resent the church and resent the believers because you don't think they're responding to your need. My challenge to you is this, is how are those people that God has placed around you on Sunday morning supposed to know about your need on Sunday morning if you don't let them see it the rest of the week? We don't have ESP. I cannot read your need based on how you worship on Sunday morning. 
uh, read your needs by how you're living on Monday. I read your needs by what you're going through on Tuesday. Some of us are not only afraid of being uncovered, we are afraid of uncovering. Not only do I not want you to see my need, I don't want to know your need. There used to be this gift that we talked about in the, in the body. We don't hear about it much anymore. It's called the gift of discernment. And it's when we could come into a room, not just a worship service, but into a room, and somehow the Holy Spirit would speak to me, and I would recognize something's not right with Woody today. Uh, he hadn't told me anything. He had, he's not crying. He doesn't have sackcloth and ashes all over him. He's dressed like he's normally dressed. He's still saying, I'm too blessed to be stressed. And, and, but something, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and saying, something's wrong. Most of us don't want to respond to that anymore because it means I have to get involved in his life and I have to start digging. And we don't like to dig. But I am releasing you to operate in the gift of discernment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And I am asking each of you sitting in this room today to open yourselves up to one another that when they come and look at you and say, the Holy Spirit said something's wrong, don't look at them like they're crazy and say, are you out of your mind? Do you think I'm not Mr. Christian person that I always act like I am? Don't give them the right act. Just say, if there's nothing wrong, just say, man, I so appreciate that you love me so much that you were willing to spend your time and go out of your way and actually ask me. You may have been off just a little bit, but don't worry about that. I celebrate the fact that you cared about me so much that you actually took the time and your cell phone minutes to pick up the phone and actually dial my number when you didn't have to. That's the body life that we must get to if we're going to live blessed. You have to be willing to be uncovered. A shared life will expose your need. A shared life will expose your fear. A shared life will expose your pain. And unless you are coming to the place that you are willing to allow that to happen, you will not be blessed. A shared life will expose your apathy. Because when you see somebody in pain, if you don't respond, what you're saying is, I don't want to be blessed. A shared life will expose your selfishness. Because if we begin to live a shared life and you recognize the needs around you and you don't operate at the level of the New Testament church, when you have the resources in your possession to help those individuals, then you will not be blessed. A shared life will expose your suspicions. Don't tell me you don't have any, because I got some about some of y'all. If I help them, they will hurt me. Come on now. If I help them, they will take advantage of me. If I help them, it will cost me more time than I want to actually spend. I, when I said, how are you doing, I wanted you to tell me, okay, so that I can get on out the lobby and get to lunch. I am preaching. I, I know I'm not supposed to say that, but I am stinking preaching because this is how the Christianity in America has come to. We don't really care anymore. An exposed life will expose your faith. It will expose your love. And here's the beautiful thing. A shared life will expose your Jesus. 
let me explain. That is the greatest part of a shared life. I'm going to say this quickly. A shared life leads to salvation. Did y'all catch that in Acts? I'm almost done. Hang with me. Did you catch that in Acts? The Bible says that, I'm not talking about the day of Pentecost because 3,000 got saved on that day. I'll take that. But it also says that as they shared their lives together every day and ate together and prayed together and worshiped together and fellowshiped together, it says that they were adding people to the kingdom daily. Okay, if y'all like that statement now, just hang on for just a moment because you might not like it so much here in a minute. This is what I believe. I believe that as people see a safe place, a safe place of love where they see our concern, where they see that we have a common life together, they will want what we have. When they realize that they can be real, when they realize that they can be loved, when they realize they're going to be cared for rather than talked about and rather than being ridiculed and rather than being judged and they realize that we're not going to avoid them because they're so messed up, then they will stream in from every walk of life and want the Jesus that we say we actually have. See, the greatest witnessing tool that you can ever use is a shared life with other believers because as sinners see the beauty of our fellowship, they will see what they're missing. Jesus preached this message to his disciples like this. He said this in John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, bumper sticker, by this, passion logo on your car, by this, your church bulletin, by this, your praise and worship, by this, your dance on Sunday. No, 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 no. He says this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Shared life. See, your shared life with other believers screams, Jesus! Because nobody else lives like that. Here's... I, I, I asked you if you liked that portion of scripture that said they were adding daily. Now you're not going to like it because here's my statement. Is it any wonder that we don't see souls being added daily when we aren't living shared life? Why would they want what we have? If the believers are going to make fun of the believers, why would I want what you have? If I, as a believer, don't have anybody to turn to when my life falls apart, why would they want what we have? If I'm in need and I can't find any help, why would I want what you have? If all I'm going to get by being a believer is get to stare at the back of somebody's head 52 Sundays a year, why would I want what you have? I'd rather go to the lake. Peter comes on strong. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says this, Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depend on it. Then John gets really mean. Because John, I kind of like John, he just cuts to the chase sometimes. John says it like this, this is bold. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love 
remains in death. In other words, you can come in here all you want to and claim to be a Christian, but if your life is not shared with somebody that is a believer and nobody knows about your life and you haven't spent any time getting to know one another and sharing your life with one another, then you're just putting on an act. You're not really saved. I didn't say that. Don't get mad at me. John just says you haven't moved from life to death unless you love one another. It is our love that signifies that we have moved, that we have graduated from sin and death to an experience with God. Now we love God so much and recognize that he loves us so much that we can't help ourselves. I got to love somebody. We ought to walk around going, I got to find somebody to love. I certainly, there's, I don't have anybody in my life. I'm not sharing my life with it. Well, boy, I got to find somebody. I'll be calling people at midnight saying, can I share my life with you? Come on, let's share our lives. Our sharedness, that's a new word. Our sharedness reveals life. Last thing and I'm done. There's a fable about a gentleman that had an encounter with our Lord, he was talking to Jesus and he said, Jesus, could you show me what is the difference between hell and heaven? I, I just don't understand this concept. Could you explain to me, how does this work? And so Jesus looks at the guy and says, okay, come with me, I'll show you hell. He walks him into this room and in this room there's this large pot full to the brim with soup. Delicious, man, he smelt it as soon as he walked in. It was, oh, whew, that smells good. You know, if Jesus cooks anything, he starts to get so. It, <clears throat> man, that smells good. And positioned around that pot are people that look like they're starving to death. They are drawn up and shriveled up, and you can see it in their face that they're starving. They have these long spoons that have these huge handles on them. In fact, the handles are longer than their arms. And so when they dip into the, they're trying, they dip into the soup and they try to eat, but they can't because they can't get it so long. They can't. Jesus looks at him and says, that's hell. Well, he says, well, what's heaven like? He said, come here, I'll show you. He walks him into an identical room. Sitting in the center of a room is a huge pot. And when he walks in, he smells the, the, the flavor of that soup. It just penetrates every sense of it. Man, that smells good. And sitting around it are happy people that look healthy and robust. The only problem is, is they have the long spoons too. And Jesus said to him, what makes this heaven is that they've learned to feed each other. You cannot feed one another if your life is not shared. How can I feed your need if all I know about you is you had a good week at work? How you doing? Oh, I had a good week at work. Great. See you next Sunday. Thank you. Gave me a sight into your life. Thank you so much. How can I feed you unless you are willing and I am willing to take the time that when you walk in the room and I actually say, how you doing? You're going, well, pastor, you know what? It was a horrible week. I cussed my wife out. I kicked my dog. When I tried to start my truck, it wouldn't start. Come on now. Or, because we always put it on that side, but there's another side too. How'd your week go? You won't even believe this, Pastor. It was the greatest week of my life. I walked into my office place, and my boss looked at me and said, just take the day off. I will pay you to go hang out at the lake. 
I got a raise I didn't expect. So you don't want to uncover our life because then we're afraid somebody will say, well, you ought to be giving more in tithes. So you don't want me to know you got a raise. We don't feed one another. In fact, you know the truth is, you know why we do church the way we do it now? Because y'all expect me to feed you. Y'all expect me to feed you. That's why most American Christians are so stinking weak because the only way they can eat is if the pastor can get a good enough sermon and has a good enough week in his own life that he can actually get and dig something out, then please feed me. We are like the little bird sitting in the nest saying, come on, just regurgitate to me what you've already, I don't want to work for it. Just, but health comes when during the week, are you ready? I'm done. Health comes when during the week Ryan feeds Phil and Teresa feeds Jessica and Will feeds Chad and Gary feeds Rick and Mike feeds Teresa and we sit around the pot and it becomes heaven on earth because I know I have someone to share my life with. Stand with me this morning. Easy message to say amen about. Extremely difficult message to actually live. It's going to cost you time, and it's going to have to cost you your willingness to get involved in one another's life. So here's the question. Who have you shared your life with this week? Who in this room knows that you won a victory this week? Who in this room knows that you suffered a defeat this week? Well, but we had a good worship service. I don't care. I'm gonna, I think we have one of the best praise and worship teams anywhere in the region. But may I just say this to you? Good worship services are a dime a dozen. If you're willing to get in the car and drive a little ways, you can find one somewhere if you dig hard enough. What is not common what is extremely difficult to find are people that are connected and shared. Oh, you can find it. You can find it in the bar. You can find it at the club. There's only one problem. Because they're connected at the wrong place, they can't help one another. They, in fact, destroy one another. And it is in this environment and it is this body that we are mandated Father, this morning, my challenge to us is that we would do more than just hear your word. We would actually do your word. I pray that masks would come off today. It might just start with a simple conversation in the lobby. That could be the entry point. There are others in this room that are positioned already to go one step further. I pray that as they're leaving today, they would feel the unction of the Holy Spirit and say, invite that person to lunch and a connection would take place. Father, I pray that this body would be rallied to prayer and that we would begin to pray for one another and with each other. It's not enough just to pray for one another. I pray we would get to the place where we would let each other know we're praying for each other during the course of the week. Probably the biggest hurdle, Father, I pray that we would begin to open our homes to one another and we would get connected at a soulish level with one another. 
and we would celebrate victories and celebrate our, our, our deal with defeats, bring comfort, laugh together, shout together, cry together, and see your kingdom expanded together because people are going to want what we have. Life together is better. So, Father, for anyone in this room that feels lonely, because I know there's some folks in here that feel lonely. Anyone in this room that feels lonely, anybody that's watching over Internet as an excuse not to have to come into an environment like this that feels lonely and isolated. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that they would let their walls down and they would shorten their, their arm. They would let people get close and we would actually take the time and expose our needs to one another so that we will live a blessed life. Father, right now what I do is I take a bold step in my congregation. I speak a blessing over them. In fact, I release them to get extremely connected with one another. I release them to feel like they've had more church all week together than they do when they come together on Sunday morning. <laughs> because all we're going to do here on Sundays is celebrate the victories we won all week together. I release them to that, Father. I ask that we would not put on airs and we would not act fake. And I pray that we would respond to people correctly when they sense something's wrong. And I pray that we would open our lives to one another. Help us, God. Help us. I pray for your help. We need help. We're going to have to have your help to change the way we do church, to change the way we do Christianity. Help us to get back to what the New Testament church did. Father, we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Everybody say this with me. A shared life is a blessed life. Oh, come on, one more time. A shared life is a blessed life. Two things I'm going to let you go. One, we have a gift for you this morning on the way out. Two, I'm just going to tempt you just a little bit. We are going to help facilitate this in June. June? That's a long way. No, just hang on. It's a method to our madness. In June, we're going to do something called June Junction. Just hang on. We're going to share life. This is your release this morning. I challenge you to actually walk out of here. I'll let you go early this morning. Got plenty of time to spend. If you're one of those people that don't like to do this, go ahead and set your clock right now. We'll put you on a time. Spend at least five minutes sharing your life with somebody. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. All right, don't be blessed. Five minutes will change your life, I promise. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Bless somebody on the way out. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.